welcome to my art form. It's time for post-orthodoxy, a show about changing our minds. Yeah, baby. With your host, Dark and Ainsley Sevier. Maybe what they believe about reality isn't all of reality. What? I know, right? We are on a mission to have a better time with more people more often. The question is, how do you get there? Post-orthodoxy explores strongly held beliefs, how those belief systems divide or connect people, and what might be found beyond those reality bubbles. Keep calm. Don't lose your head. I've got a piece of chocolate here with me because i got anxiety about doing this. Welcome to this neighborhood. Neighbor, 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 neighbor. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to Post-Orthodoxy, the show about changing our minds. All about it. All about changing our minds. If you're not changing, you're dying. Like a tree. Mm, They say uh, uh, absence of thought. Wait, what is that? Yeah, absence of thought. Well, let's see here. Like when you're... (laughs) What was that again? When you're declared legally brain dead is when there's absence of thought. Ah, but how do you know if somebody's thinking? There have been so many stories of people coming out of comas and things. Hold on, I just got, I messed that up from the very beginning. Okay, try again. I lost again. the whole thread. <laughs> I don't even remember what the quote is. I said... It I, sparked, but it's been corroded because it's in the basement of my mind and there was a flood. So <laughs> we'll just let that go. Okay. Anyway. First of all, let's introduce ourselves. Uh, oh. I'm Citizen DJ Dark Sevier. Sitting across from me is the lovely Ainsley Sevier. Um, also known as Red Handed Jill on Thursdays. Yes, Media Maven. Oh. Um, who sets up the whole, the, all the lenses so the rest of the world can tune into so many our things. story here. Um, so post-orthodoxy is about, I mean, I'm just going to say it again. It's it about again. strongly held beliefs. It's yes. about things that you think are true about the world that are maybe just actually your perspective about the world. Mm-hmm. And it happens to the best of us. And all we can hope for is that we get to know each other's perspectives and, and uh, figure out which ones are the healthiest ones. Yes. And can they get along? So what, right. are, what are we talking about today, Dark? Oh, where do we want to do some uh, show updates? Do we want to talk about? Do we want to do a COVID update and oh, sort yeah, of break do, in and, yeah. and talk about a couple other things? Mm-hmm. We are talking about. Uh, I I did a little trip out to uh, Seattle to the Capitol Hill district where there's a little event going on that I was having a hard time finding information on that sounded uh, correct. So. Or even consistent. Or consistent. There's a lot of <laughs> conflicting uh, signals going mm-hmm. over that situation out there. So I wanted to go see what it was about. So I'm going to give you my feedback of Firsthand. my experience and mm-hmm. what I saw uh, at the Capitol Hill District, also known as uh, the Capitol Hill Occupy Protest. Also um, known as the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. And I'm, I'm going to talk about the problematic reason why it's called two different things. Mm-hmm. We're going to discuss that a little and bit. And the here. ongoing conversation yeah. about whether it should be Chaz or Chop. And the ongoing conversation, yes. Because um, they're still arguing about it. Right, so we've got uh, a lot of information. I've got a lot of information on that. Uh, first, I would like to, do we want to start with our COVID-19 updates? Yeah, what? what do you have an update? What, what have we learned? Um, I haven't learned anything. I haven't learned. Well, I, <laughs> I've learned things, but I haven't heard anything new that seems factual and useful to me. That's what I mean by I haven't learned anything. Is it, yeah. <laughs> Since the last week, uh, you know, every week I sort of bemoan the notion that people that I follow on various social media platforms or news sources, mm-hmm. there's, a cons- there's a consistent drumbeat of taking the death toll of people who have been tested uh, with coronavirus and have died. 
There's a consistent drumbeat saying 120,000 people died of coronavirus. Yes. That's not true. It's not true. Well, right, at this point, but I've seen that number. Yeah, 120,000 people at this point have died that tested positive for coronavirus. And they do just automatically test you when you die. So there's a lot of people who did not die of coronavirus, mm-hmm. but died with coronavirus. And when good news uh, agencies and outlets say died of coronavirus, um, this is what gives fuel to the, the, the orange guy on the East Coast that keeps talking about fake news. Because mm. it's not accurate information. It's not useful information. That number is fake news. That is fake news. How so? It's a, it's a difference between dying of the virus and dying with the virus. Many people died with the virus that in their did not system. suffer anything mm-hmm. that they had to do with the virus. They weren't dying because they got coronavirus. From what I understand, the majority of people who died with the coronavirus did not die of the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. They right. died from other things. And statistics that I've looked at, say, from the New York City hospital right. statistics Would of people who out? have died correlate that uh that supposition that you're making which is they say the same thing to not use big words new york seattle hospital looked at 15,000 deaths that they had uh up to like may 14th and they're like of the 15,000 15, um only like 90 of them died of the coronavirus that did not have something else wrong with them that was making them sick okay okay there's that and, and i think there's levels of this information of course coronavirus can complement uh, can complicate right an existing condition which causes you to die so if you have hypertension you already have a plot problem right. with your blood your blood system right. your cardiovascular system right coronavirus attacks your ability to oxygenate properly as far as we know right now this version of coronavirus recently right um and so if you're already having a problem with your blood getting around your body this properly complicates that situation. this complicates it to a point where you would die you but could. Yeah. if you are not a person with a cardiovascular problem coronavirus would not make you as sick not necessarily i mean there's as far as we know from the data so maybe far. if you're 75 so there's different things. Right, but it if you're 75, do- you have a pre-existing condition which is called age, age as in your right. body is weak and tired for so, some people. Right. So there's a lot of people who have coronavirus. This is the other thing that I want to bring up because I am seeing a lot of concern posts from friends of mine who are alarmed at the spike in coronavirus cases. Mm-hmm. What I'm not seeing out there is how many people have been tested positive with coronavirus that are not suffering from coronavirus. Right. Some people are just like, well, I guess I got to get a test because I have to do this thing. And they get a test and they're like, you have coronavirus. How do you feel? I'm like, I feel totally right. the but same. But now you have to isolate yourself for two weeks. Right. Theoretically. We're not, we're not talking about this. We're not. To, and yeah. and yeah. they've also conflated data between people who have tested positive for the virus with people who have tested positive for the antibodies. Which means you already had it. Which means you've had it, and now you've built an immunity to the virus. Right. That's what the antibodies. And theoretically, antibodies means you are not viral shedding. You are not causing right. other people to get sick anymore. Right. So I'm concerned about, um, I think it's, I, I like talking about this every week, even if we say the same damn thing every week, mm-hmm. because the show is about dogmas. Right. And right now, people... Um, there's unfortunately a political layer that has been laid over our our medical uh, uh, issue, which is people like to say that 120,000 people have died of coronavirus because of the current political situation, and they want to weigh as heavily as they can 
on the current administration to say that because of Trump, 120,000 people died needlessly. And I think it's important to point out that not all people campaigning against coronavirus deaths are actually thinking of it as being against Trump. No, there's like, there's, there's a layer. There's a, there are there's a large group of people who are mad about coronavirus deaths because they think if we had had a different president, we would it wouldn't have a be different that situation. way. Yeah. But we don't have good information on what's going mm-hmm. on. I, 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 and so since we have this, this platform and this forum where we can talk about important issues, we stream on Facebook, not because we're fans of Facebook. We stream because it allows a Uh-oh, certain we're get cut off now. <laughs> amount of our audience to interact with us yes. and to uh, tell us where we've gone off the rails. Share articles that you've read. Share articles, give us information, different points of view. The whole point is to share... Uh, information on Mm -hmm. this show and so i would learn and grow anybody who's listening out there that has some accurate data on how many people died of versus how many people died with coronavirus i think that's important information Mm -hmm. uh if anybody has any idea about the can do a nice little uh you know graph line chart that shows the number of people who have been tested for coronavirus and how many people are in the hospital because of coronavirus, mm-hmm. how many people are actively suffering the virus versus how many people just have been have tested it in their with, system. It, with their system, which is what's yeah. supposed to happen in nature. A lot of people, so viruses are everywhere. I mean, for us to zoom out a little bit, we have a big scary name for what's going on this spring. Pandemic. And everybody's talking about it, so it's all staying in the common guy. But, like, there are viruses all over the planet all the time. Right. We are always encountering viruses and bacteria, and our bodies, by and large, are always fighting them off. That's what our bodies are designed to do to work. the immune system is working properly. If your immune system is healthy... Then, but like, for instance, this is why we have diseases that are called immunocom- autoimmune diseases or immunocompromised diseases. There are certain things such as uh, kidney failure or Down syndrome, which make your immune system weaker than the average human. So you do get sicker more often. And right. it's not because you are encountering viruses more often. It's because your body is less equipped to fight them off than the average human. So those people do need to be more careful about yes. viruses all the time. And that's what I think makes this... Uh, conflation of data and misstatement of data dangerous to the actual groups of people who are most at risk. Mm, how so? When we start talking about across the board, we all need to do these things. Mm. We're not really saying most of you are going to be fine. There are some people high at risk. Yeah. Identifying those people are who are high at risk, making sure that we're taking care of them and highlighting the point that they are high at risk. Mm-hmm. You're not at high risk. Me, Ainsley, is not. You are not at high risk. No. Most of the people are not at high risk for the virus, even if they get it. They're not at right. high risk of suffering it or mm-hmm. dying. You you smoked, for, you smoked for 30 years, yes. and you probably had it in January, and all you had was like chest pain and exhaustion for two weeks. I, for three weeks, I didn't want to do anything. Right. And I didn't know why. And then we it found was, out there's a virus. <laughs> then we found out there's a virus. I had right. pains in my chest. I had zero energy. It felt like... I felt like I was just on the lip or on the edge of pneumonia Mm, mm -hmm. for three weeks. And I'm like, well, I'm not getting any worse, so I guess I'm not going to go to the hospital. But I wasn't getting any better for three weeks. Mm -hmm. So I may have had it. I'd never experienced anything like that before except pneumonia. And Mm -hmm. I understand that the virus mimics a lot of uh, pneumonia-like symptoms. So by, by putting the burden on everybody to do one thing, I don't think we're putting the focus... On the people who need to be taken care of. You know what I wish we were doing 
in the what would seem like and and I am not a trained medical professional personally but I did grow up in a trained medical professional household surrounded by people who were very invested in taking ownership over their own health and understanding their own bodily systems right um and so from that perspective, what I wish we were doing and what would seem medically sound to me would be for us to start testing people for diabetes, testing people for thyroidism, testing people for kidney failure, testing people for lupus, trying to figure out, okay, who are the immunocompromised people? Who's the high risk factor? And then let's enable them to protect themselves. Exactly. Yes. Let's take care of the people who need the most taken care of. This idea, in the very beginning, the idea of flattening the curve, I was amazed at how fast that spread. And, and everybody agreed, uh, lots of people agreed, mm-hmm, I won't mm-hmm. say everybody, lots <laughs> of people agreed with the logic that, yes, we need to spread this out till we get a handle on it, till our hospitals get um, caught up on what is required to deal with this. And it's a good thing we did it because everybody thought you needed a respirator when you got it. Turns out that wasn't the best treatment. No. So now we're understanding how to best treat it. We're all going to get it. Yeah. It's in the environment. It's in the planet. We live on the planet. The virus lives on the planet. Thinking that you're going to hide in your home as a healthy person, you're going to hide in your home Mm -hmm. until there's a vaccine. Or as any kind of person, honestly. Right. I think there's, well, there are a lot of people. What do you say to the people who are compromised? The people who are like, if I go out, it could kill me. Mm -hmm. I think that's why we need to be delineating between the people who are at risk and not at risk so that we can focus on the people who are at risk. And we need to put structures in. We can find ways to keep them in our our world, in our friends groups, in our society, make sure we pay the, the proper attention to them so they don't feel like they have been cut off from society by a virus. Mm. Trying to make it everybody's problem, like making sure that regular healthy people, taking kids out of school, um, doing things where people who are not really at danger risk of this virus, um, making the society sort of a blanket to protect the few Mm -hmm, and -hmm. compromising the rest, I feel like is dangerous for everybody, especially the few. Yes. Who need our attention. Right. Because they, because we're kind of spreading this work out over the entire population. Like I just saw this, the most horrific set of photos that one of my homeschool friends shared about how they're getting the school systems in Virginia ready to take kids back. And it's like they have to stand six feet away from each other when they get on the bus. The bus driver, you know, so you open that giant door to get onto the bus and there's this lady on an elevated seat with a big plastic shield over her face and a mask. So that's who's greeting you on the bus. And then you get to school and you have to line up six feet apart before you even go into school. And a nurse's station will check your temperature before letting you into the school. Like it's, it's, it's this whole system that they're putting in place to keep everything very sanitary when we could be using our energies and our systems for how do we create some kind of a infrastructure right. to do grocery shopping um, for people who for the can't compromise, yeah, yes. so that they don't have to break the bank to like instead of all of this weird stuff how about we put an infrastructure in place in the US with federal funding where we are actually doing something to take care of the compromised people so that they like if you have a medically diagnosed comorbidity that would cause you to be sicker from the virus than the average person you can sign up to have someone do your grocery shopping for you why that's aren't we doing what, stuff like that at. Uh, we just got a comment from uh, a fan of the show, Mark French. Uh, maybe I should say friend of the show. <laughs> a currently, uh, he says he's currently directly connected to ICU nurses. One overseas, a negative pressure unit. Uh, numbers are skyrocketing here in Dallas, Fort Worth, multi uh, metroplex. People of every age are being admitted of and for the virus. The people dying with the virus almost all have underlying issues. 
and specific risk vulnerabilities. I'll get some numbers later and post them to the thread. That's great. That's, That's awesome. what I'm looking for. Because I think it's a... People it sounds who, like he's saying what we're saying. That lots of people yes. are getting it, but the people who are dying... Are specific. Are, are we're already, more specific. We're already yes. compromised. So, um, and uh, the other numbers, what he mentions here is that the numbers are skyrocketing. We haven't been able to test before. The more we test, the higher the numbers are going to go. Yeah. The virus is in the 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 herd. Lots of people it's are going to keep getting it for the next few Lots years. Lots of people around us have it, and we will never know that they had it. Yeah. If we test, if we tested everybody, I think we would be shocked at how many people have the coronavirus. But how many? But would it change the number of? If we tested and the numbers went up, is it changing the numbers of people being admitted? And that's that's what Mar uh, Mark is talking about. So I'd like to find out. I guess as the thing spreads around, as we come out. That's what the flattening the curve was supposed to do, was give the hospitals a head start to get geared up so that when the numbers do climb, they're there to meet them rather than being overwhelmed with a giant spike. And it seems mm -hmm. like we're doing that right now. I think that that leads into another question that keeps coming up for me these days with my friends. You know, I have a lot of immunocompromised friends yes. of a variety of different compromised immune systems. We have people tuning in right now who are yes. immunocompromised yes. and I really care about them and I really care about their health and them staying alive. I want them to be able to raise their children and see their grandchildren and go to college. I want them to be able to do all these things. Um, I know several people who really are just going to stay in their houses yes. until there's a vaccine. Yeah. And I think well, that's it, what they're saying right now. I think it varies from person to person, whether or not that's, you know, the right, idea. the right, of course, person to person, it should be up to you what is the right thing for you. Like, I mean, I it frustrates me when people get mad at me for not wearing a mask to the grocery store. But I, while I'm at the grocery store, I see a lady driving around without a mask on who has an oxygen tank. I'm like, if you have an oxygen tank, you should probably be one of the people wearing a mask yes. to protect yourself. Right. This uh, provides me uh, with an excellent segue oh. into the main thread of the show, which is what happened in uh, what's happening currently in uh, Capitol Hill in Seattle. Can we address what yes. Mark French's final two comments before, oh, he's got, he's before got more we segue? Comments? Mm -hmm. He had more? And I'm sharing I a don't link. See them. Uh, let's see. He said, oh, I, my thing stopped. I had to fly in and out of Missoula and Bozeman so much this winter. I was the most sick I've ever been in my entire life mm. for nearly an entire month when I was home in Butte in February. I had a fever above 103.5 for nine days. It was awful. I don't know if it was the virus until I get antibodies tested, but after learning about it, I'm nearly certain that's what I had back then. Right. I think that's what I had as well. Yeah. Uh, so the segue I was going to make, it looks like uh, um, my Wi-Fi has died. Oh, oh I'm wait, sorry about now that. Now it's back. It's back. <laughs> I'm um, going to share a link into our into our Facebook live stream of this article. It's from the worldmeters.info slash coronavirus, and they have taken data from New York City Health as of May 14th. Oh, where did you find this? This is this is the, the this is the New York City Health data. Okay, good. As of May thirteenth, uh, with a chart showing how many people who died of coronavirus of the fifteen thousand that died in New York City over April and May, which was really horrifying. Yes. How many of them weren't already sick? Right. Right. So I'm going to share that uh, information in our so live stream thread. The segue I would like to make is what I'm saying is we um, immunocompromised lives matter. Yes. And other people are saying, 
We all need to be concerned about the virus. All lives matter. Fascinating segue. Yeah, thank Tell you. Tell me more. Thank you. Um, this is what I'm saying. Right now, we need to focus on the people who are most at risk. We could be funneling efforts into creating structures that actually protect people who actually might die from it. Yes, we need I to be dealing with that. I will We're probably not, not die from it. Right, exactly. Right. So, uh, yes, I'm going to say immunocompromised lives matter. Hashtag. And then you could tell me why we all need to be wearing masks driving our cars down the street. Uh, segwaying. Lisa Lee, yeah. who's in uh, California, just said the L.A. governor just reinstated everyone has to wear masks. Right. Uh, I wonder if that's because he's seeing or people who are pressuring him are seeing the numbers rise as more and more people are able to get tested. The numbers will rise as we test. Yes. There are that's 8 billion people on the planet. People who are being alarmist, like, oh, the, the numbers are rising. I'm like, well, tell me, is that because the testing has risen? I mean, that was a Donald Trump thing. He's like, just don't test people and we won't have high numbers. Right. If we have high numbers, that means people are getting tested. Now, how many people getting tested are sick? And, and we could go on and on. This is what we do every week, but I'm doing it again this week because I think we need to look we at the data. We need to keep data. having that conversation. We're in a uh, orthodox uh, religion of science now where people say this number, it's scientific number. The scientific number says these many people have the case. Well, mm -hmm. that's only part of the data. What does the scientific number say about how many tests they did now compared to how many tests they did earlier? What does it what, say what about is, yeah, what is who the has the antibodies versus who is sick right now? Right. So um, last week we talked a little bit about a event that had cropped up in the Capitol Hill district of Seattle, Washington, mm -hmm. where a police station was abandoned by the police mm. and an occupied zone was set up. Like Occupy Wall Street. Like Occupy Wall Street. And and then you decided to bomb out there and see it for yourselves. Had to go. And here we are, folks. We're going to tell you about it right now. I'll tell you about Yeah. If you have any questions about uh, what's going on at the Chaz slash Chop, and I'm really reticent to, to use that term. And I, I want to start off with the definition of terms. Have I got some news for you after we do all of that? Okay. Um, starting off with the definition of terms. In the Capitol Hill area of Seattle, a police station was abandoned. Uh, there had been nine days where they were throwing every uh, can of tear gas and uh, flashbang grenade and uh, rubber bullets, uh, which makes them sound nice. They're not. People lost their eyes in that. Um, there was a war. There was a battle mm -hmm. of a war were taking place in an arts district in San Francisco. And to be clear, there were peaceful protesters protesting the death of George Floyd and ongoing police brutality. And ongoing, because they and experienced it there. the police were brutalizing them for protesting. The police were brutalizing the protesters who were protesting police brutality. That went on for nine days. The police left the station. Mm -hmm. They parked themselves around the corner, from what I understand, waiting for the police station to be uh, uh, burned or attacked. And then giving them an excuse to go in and do um, further use of force. There's theories that that was the plan that's because the, they didn't actually just drive away. That's what I understand. I don't know what happened. 
now I wasn't for, there. for those for those of you who are, didn't hear our show last week, we did uh, last week and the week before we did a bit about where you're getting your news from. Yes. And I think it's important to point out that Twitter is a very, very useful news source because it's a bunch of people actually in this place taking photos and telling you what they see. And that's where I heard the story from people who were in Seattle that said um, nobody, like the cops just went around the corner and waited to see what would happen with the station Mm -hmm. all day. Mm -hmm. They, They loaded up their moving trucks and then drove like a block away. Okay. Yeah, so I heard that from somebody who was there and saw it. Right. So that's why I wanted to go there because uh, the majority of the information that I was getting was uh, a lot of trolling. It was a lot of uh, inflamed rhetoric from, I guess you would consider them Trump fans or right-wing folks or wh- and white supremacists. A wide variety uh, of folks. A wide variety, yeah. <laughs> a wide variety of folks. Um, so after this, uh, the police were chased out and they did not come back in an attack. There was a six-block area that... Uh, they cordoned off willy nilly. Mm-hmm. They basically just started. Um, not here, not here, not here, not right. here. <laughs> they blocked off a number of streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, during that time, uh, this is an arts district, and that's another thing that we're going to get to later in the show after I get through this part. Uh, this is an arts district. It's a district that was uh, uh, plagued by a, a large amount of homelessness because of the park there. Mm-hmm. And then. And then because of the low rent of that area, the artists and the gay people moved in. Mm-hmm. And they always do a nice job fixing up an area. Okay. And the real estate prices. So then gentrification came in. Because they had made it into because an they'd, arts district. They made it into an arts Wealthy district. people wanted to live there. Exactly. So that's the district where this happened. Mm-hmm. It, it has a history of that kind of thing. So there's artists all over. There are art studios all over that district. So as soon as the place was occupied by the residents, and that's what's important to note, this was not an outside occupation of a, of a city. Right. This is the city taking its streets back. Right. From hostile attack from the local precinct. So they, the took, local, yeah. they took their streets back. They occupied their own streets, and then the artists went to town. So mm-hmm. there were just there's 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 art just mushrooming all over the place. So everybody had their version of what was going on. Somebody made a very nice uh, sign that uh, called it "Welcome to Chapel Hill um, Autonomous Zone." Autonomous Zone, and I'd like to address that statement uh, because that left the um, cause open to a lot of criticism because of the term. Autonomous. Mm-hmm. I don't know the person that made that sign, but I would like to. I have an idea of why they made that sign, and I'd like to address it before we go further. And for those of you who maybe have never tuned into a post orthodoxy show before, we tend to zoom out and zoom in, and zoom out and zoom in. Life so, is complicated. It's I'll, not A to B. I'll zoom out a little further, and we're going to talk about anarchy, like we often do on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a definition of anarchy that says it's the state of a society being freely constituted without authorities. Or a governing body. In practical terms, anarchy can refer to the curtailment or abolition of traditional forms of government and institutions. Um, there's a guy who wrote a book, Hakim Bey. Some of you may have heard of him. Uh, it's H-A-K-I-M-B-E-Y. Hakim Bey wrote a book called The Temporary Autonomous Zone, mm. or T-A-Z. Hashtag and, Taz. And the autonomy word there is paired with the word temporary. Mm. So the temporary autonomous zone. Uh, it's a book by the anarchist writer and poet Hakim Bey. The book describes the socio-political tactic 
of creating temporary spaces that elude formal structures of control. The essay uses various examples from history and philosophy, all of which suggest that the best way to create a non-hierarchical system of social relationships is to concentrate on the present and on releasing one's own mind from the controlling mechanisms that have been imposed upon it. Mm. So that's when somebody said Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, I have a feeling it was a nod to the Hakeem Bay book. To the temporary autonomous zone. Right. Because that's what they're doing to zoom out. They're doing a temporary autonomous zone. They are occupying this zone in order to raise enough awareness to pressure the mayor and the governor to make changes in the system so black people aren't being screwed over so much. Right. So uh, that hashtag began trending, the uh, Chaz... Right. Which is unfortunate because when I hear Chaz, I think of a guy with a popped collar polo shirt that, you know, that right. has been in a fraternity. Trust fund baby. Right. So uh, people, the first contact I had with somebody in the zone, that was their first outrage is stop calling it the Chaz. We don't know who came up with that. That's not what we're doing. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It had already caught fire and it had already run. Mm-hmm. So because it was so easy to pick apart because it's not an autonomous zone, it is a temporary autonomous zone. But According that to that de- definition. Right. But it was not, it's not an autonomous zone. Mm-hmm. So everybody got to, uh, all the right-wing trolls and, and people who are watching this got to dogpile on it and be correct. They were in correct. Their criticism. If you're going to actually try to secede from the union, then we're going to turn off your electricity and we're going to require you to have a passport to leave the zone. And that's not what they were saying. That's not, not what, what the were occupiers saying. were trying to do. But that name left them open to all the snark. And so that's what everybody opposed to the occupied zone focused on was just kind of complaining about the word autonomous. Which is the same problem with Black Lives Matter. That also. was a hashtag that trended mm-hmm. after a trial. And then it left the movement open to people who don't think they're racist saying all lives matter. Now we have to argue over semantics Instead rather of than the about underlying the, the issue yeah. that, it, that that thing is meant to represent. So many arguments. You make fun of the name, you argue over the name, and then you're involved in the issue without ever addressing the issue. Mm. And that's what's happening with the uh, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone problem. So somebody else says they've tried to move it over to the Capitol Hill Occupied zone, which I think is also accurate mm-hmm. uh, uh, as a temporary autonomous zone, is being occupied, occupied until um, certain voice, demands are met. The folks in that area's voices are heard. Yes. So if you look at the propaganda that's being thrown out there, and it is straight up propaganda by a lot of the news uh, outlets, for example, Fox News, big surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fox News has photoshopped images of buildings burning. There's no buildings that have burned in mm-hmm. that area. People have photoshopped images of people with guns. There are people there with guns. It's an open carry state. Se- Washington Seattle. is an open carry state. <laughs> you can walk around with a gun yeah. on your hip, and that's, that should be no problem. The only reason it's alarming is because it's a lot of black people doing it. That's what's making it alarming to the right. Um, this zone is also, uh, it has a large park. And there's a homeless issue. We have economic inequality, and we also have mental health problems in this country that we're not addressing. So you have people living on the street. Mm-hmm. So you and can a lot go, of them live in Capitol Hill. You can go to Capitol Hill, and you can go um, videotape uh, a mentally compromised person wandering around the park and say, this is the temporary autonomous zone. It's a very easy picture to paint. And people who don't live in big cities don't understand that almost every block has their yelling person. Yes, some person I think that's it's, we need to say that yelling. again. Yes. Like people who don't live in big cities 
don't know what living in a big city is like. I have been to and lived in several big cities and they are full of graffiti. They are full of trash. They are full of, and I mean trash as in like literal trash, not right. people who are trash. Right. Um, like full of graffiti, full of um, homeless people, full of mentally compromised people. Yes. Everywhere. We have problems in the, our country. The big cities that you see in the movies are not accurate because they don't show all the homeless people sitting in the doorways. Right. So uh, Capitol Hill... Uh, is a densely, I'm going to read this from Wikipedia. Capitol okay. Hill is a densely populated residential district in Seattle, Washington. It's one of the city's most uh, prominent nightlife and entertainment districts and is the center of the city's LGBT and counterculture communities. Hmm. Big surprise that the counter, counterculture communities would have an Occupy movement. Right. People who don't understand the context of that real, area. Of that area. I didn't understand the context of that area. I didn't know where I was going. Right. I showed up at midnight and was looking at something I didn't understand. Most of the people are gone. And I'll take you through an arc of the day in the life of that zone mm -hmm. as we go further into the show. Um, and tell you about some of the things that, I, that I've put together since I've been there. Really, one of the reasons I wanted to go is because there was a lack of accurate information. I wanted to go find somebody who was on the ground there that was um, somebody who I could rely on for updates on what's happening in that, Long in, that distance. in that zone because my feeling before I went out there is that this is something that's not going away. Mm. It's going to be there for the summer, at least. It's not going to be taken down. There's going to be flashpoints. There's going to be incidents. There will be ups and downs, mm -hmm. but that zone isn't going away anywhere. Okay. The people in that area know where they live. The people know that they live in the an arts... The residents of Capitol Hill yes, understand. They, they know where they live. Yes. They know they live in an arts district. They know that there's artists everywhere. They know that there's a counterculture there because, i.e. artists and the LGBTQ. They also know that there's a homeless problem. This is... The, the noise level has raised. And if you have a complaint living there that the noise level has raised, um, that's, that's valid if that's your complaint. But the noise level is often high. You have nightclubs. You have events... All the time. Mm -hmm. I talked to a couple of uh, residents there that said they feel safer in the occupied zone now than they did, did on a typical Friday night. Yes. And especially after the nine days of police brutality against protesters. Right. Especially. Especially. Um, but also just on a typical day. I'm going to post a link to... I did an interview on the first day I was there with uh, a resident who turned me on to somebody we're going to talk about in a moment who's there doing live upstreams. But he, um, I did a quick interview with him and uh, sent it over to uh, media maven Ainsley Sevier. And she was able to get it together and put it on our uh, podcast <laughs> website. Uh, so it's a little 10, 15-minute interview with a guy named Jamie, uh, who is a resident, and giving his perspective of what it's been like since the police have left and it's not the narrative that we're seeing in most of the media right if you're interested in hearing that full uh interview you can check in there uh i just posted it in the comments on facebook so i want to talk about some of the things that i saw i was there when i got in on midnight on monday night uh that day as i was driving in there had been a temporary ban since that whole barrage on capitol hill there had been a temporary ban on tear gas, uh, pepper spray, rubber bullets, and the chokehold. The city of Seattle the did that. The city of Seattle put a band in, uh, a ban in. That ban expired the day that I got there, and they extend, extended that ban till September. 
why would you only do a temporary ban against those measures? Until the thing blows away because you don't want to get that out of your arsenal. So you're giving, you're throwing a bone to the people saying, okay, we won't tear gas you for a while until we figure this out. Hmm. But they extended that ban into September, which gives the issue time to be aired out so mm. that there can be public input to decide if that's a permanent thing that needs to be done. Right. So that happened on Monday. Uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm not sure, There, the city council... Uh, or the Labor Council, uh, voted to kick out the police union from the Labor Council. Yeah. and that What does could, that mean? Well, that's what we were talking about on our show last week. When we talk about uh, this issue, I would not want to be a police officer right now because of uh, the scrutiny, the attention, the rhetoric, and, um, and the, the orthodoxies of love and hate mm. for, that, for that function and that job. So last week I was talking about what we could dial in to deal with the problems of this uh, that we're dealing with right now mm-hmm. is really focus on the police unions. Rather than the individual police officers. Right. We need to be dealing, or, or the departments themselves. Um, the unions, if you look at the unions, there's a hierarchy. Uh, they're majority white uh, even in black-dominated police districts, the union heads are majority white. Mm-hmm. They have a long history of uh, dubious acquaintances. And when you join a union like that, it's akin to joining a fraternity where you take care of your own first. And because of the police union, people who are uh, considered bad actors on the police force often don't have to deal with the repercussions of their actions. So there's a call for a public input to deal with these uh, issues of police brutality. There should be a public review board since the police work for the public. The you public, mean citizens. The citizens need to review these, inc- mm. uh, these incidents mm-hmm. and uh, come to some conclusion. Yeah. It's the police policing the police mm. when you have the unions that have gotten themselves into a position where they run the show. Mm-hmm. So having the police investigate police mis- misconduct is a big is problem we need to look at. a bit incestuous. Right. <laughs> so that's, they've made a move. And uh, I heard that announcement from uh, a woman named Kashama Savant. Savant, she is um, an immigrant from India who is also on the city council. Mm-hmm. in Seattle, um, a socialist. Uh, she's the first socialist in Seattle since 1916, uh, uh, elected in, to in, office. In an elected. In an elected uh, place, yeah. yes. Um, so she was very optimistic about the events of last week in terms of getting the 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 weapons of war banned from the police station, uh, from the police activity. Many of which are illegal if we were actually in war with another country. Yeah, you couldn't use this in war. Yeah. You can't use um, tear gas legally in war. The U.S. legally cannot use tear gas against other countries, but it can against its own citizens. They're banned in, internationally. So uh. <laughs> there's optimism in that they, there are a list of demands mm-hmm. uh, by the folks there about what they would like to see happen in their community regarding uh, policing and the police department and the culture around it. And the healthcare system and, and the, the education system. system. Right. Um, so... I'm going to take you on a walk through my few days there 
at the zone. Okay. And then I want to talk a little bit about um, how we got here uh, historically and contextually. Oof. Not just in Seattle, but in this moment in history. I love me some context. And it has to do with the topic of a number of our recent past shows, mm. which is drug policy and the prison industrial complex. Um, so I'm going to try to tie some things together about how we got here. But uh, first, I'm going to take you through a day in the life. So when I arrived in Seattle, I was told that there were blockades and people with guns and they're going to ask for uh, you know identification to get into the zone, et cetera, et cetera. I got there at midnight or one o'clock in the morning. I found the park, uh, pulled into a parking place right next to the park, <laughs> um, walked around. There were some folks working on an art project uh, with lights and a generator and a sound system. I didn't know what the project was. Uh, it ends up being like a 40 foot tall black power fist okay. made out of pallets. Which uh, is the same fist that KBMF has as a logo. Yes, incidentally. Just without the microphone. Uh, so uh, I saw that going on. I'm trying to orient myself. I don't know which way is which, up, down, left, right, where the beginning, where the end is. So I walk through the park. There's a, lot of, there's, a, there's a number of people there. There's several hundred people there. There are tents set up in one specific zone where there's a gardening zone. Mm. Definitely seems to be a little village within the village okay. of people who are literally setting down roots. You yeah. Know, uh, whether the place gets raided in a week by the army or they tried to drop a nuclear bomb on it, um, they are The people planning, occupying there. They're planning on being there. <clears throat> yeah. They're literally putting down roots. Uh, you can make fun of their style of gardening or the fact that they're tearing up public property, whatever you want to do. But I if think it's more... that's what makes you happy. It's more of a metaphor. Mm-hmm. They're saying, this is our park and we are here. Why wouldn't we setting, garden? And we're setting down some roots. So there's a zone where there's the gardening faction. Mm-hmm. There's another zone, which is a large uh, astroturfed uh, field, which mm-hmm. doubles as uh, baseball, uh, soccer, football fields. Massive place. The whole field is open, but all the way around the perimeter, there are tents. And those tents include a guy who's brought a couple of batteries and an inverter to charge everybody's uh, devices. Another tent is doing um, uh, emotional well-being counseling if mm. people are being traumatized or there's some problem or they need to talk, so it's like free therapy. That's awesome. There's another um, a tent which are legal observers, people who are working for various agencies. I don't know if it's ACLU, but other civil rights agencies that have trained lawyers who have put themselves there to uh, watch what's going on so that there are some legal observers Mm -hmm. that can uh, bear witness to events. Right, and witnesses are important, and it's always important if somebody is a witness and has, like, video of something happening or audio of something happening. It's even better when there's somebody there who understands law and legislation and and case law and all this stuff and and can, like, say, like, as an educated person, I witnessed this happening, which is a violation of such and such and such. Right. So there's another tent that was a thrift store. Where mm-hmm. where you could just come in if you needed a sweater because you came unprepared or mm-hmm. you wanted some socks, you need a blanket. There was just donations uh, and various and sundry items that were there for the taking. Mm. You could just come and grab a sweater and go. There's no yeah. There was no commerce in any of these tents that I saw. So uh, the hospitality tents, so there were people who were cooking food, people who were making coffee for every everybody. So these are just... Because I don't want to make any assumptions and I don't want our viewers or listeners to be making assumptions like these. uh, These are not like they're not paid to be there. It's not like a festival. Well, it has 
some crossover. It has a vibe. It has but, a vibe. Ha- well, and what I mean. But it's not like they paid are, a booth fee. No, 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 no. They just came and set up to be to uh, contribute to the cause. Yeah. So uh, hospitality stations, um, food, coffee. Mm. Uh, another uh, that was that was another section that I saw, which is where that pitch is. On at the end of that is uh, the main street where the Black Lives Matter is painted on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, uh, a block in each direction, they had the streets cordoned off. And there were people who were uh, standing point at these places. They never asked me anything when I went in and out. They never asked me who I was, what I was doing. Mm. Um, they were just there looking for to make sure nobody coming in causes trouble. Okay. So there, there was an independent They're security. They're keeping an eye out for troublemakers. Yeah. So there's an independent security team. There are people who are walking around with walkie-talkies on who are saying, okay, there's a guy over here who we recognize as a proud boy, which is one of these uh, racist groups agitator groups that so, wear specific clothes well, that <laughs> wear specific clothes or are meant to incite there's mm-hmm. also the boogaloos which is another group associated or akin to the proud boys so when people co- uh, show up to make trouble um you people can coordinate out. people can yeah. coordinate and say hey we've got somebody coming in maybe keep an eye on him to make sure there's no trouble mm-hmm. so that might have been where you get these fox news reports of security guards keeping people out right because if you come in hostile suddenly they like borders right right but nobody was stopping me from doing anything there's also uh teams of medics these are volunteer medics that are 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 trained mm-hmm. uh to uh do triage and help people in a state of an emergency if there's mm-hmm. a battle, if there's a fight. These aren't people volunteering to do it. They're trained. They're trained. And also and, are volunteering. And volunteering yeah. to do it. So it, that's the temporary autonomous zone that Hakeem Bey uh, talks about in his book. Hakeem uh, Ray. Hakeem Bey. Bey. Hakeem Bey. Bey. Yeah. Uh, and I shared a Wikipedia link of his uh, about him. He's also known as Peter Lamborn Wilson. Oh, I think he wrote Taz, Temporary Autonomous Zone, under the pseudonym of Hakim right. Bay. I read that when I was in Hawaii. Uh, Jason Silverstein was the guy who turned me on to it. Uh, so that uh, that's what I saw. Most people are asleep. There are some punks, some young kids mm-hmm. that are there burning pallets. One in the morning. At one in the morning, um, delighting in having taken over part of the city. They're burning some pallets. Right. They're drunk. Yeah. There are some other folks that come up and immediately start hitting it with um, uh, fire extinguishers <laughs> saying, let's not be jerks and cause undue attention right. and damage the reputation this of what we're doing. This is not a party. <laughs> so there, there was some internal fighting at one o'clock in the morning between some people who were drunk and some people who were saying, this is not Burning Man. This is not a party. Yeah. We're here to do something, and that's not what we're, we're doing. We're here to raise awareness, and this is not the kind of awareness we want to raise. Nobody called the cops to tell them to stop doing it. It was regulated. It lasted about seven minutes. It was regulated internally, internally. which is what anarchy is, right? etymologically speaking. So what I also saw were people who were homeless, obviously homeless folks mm-hmm. that are hanging out. Who um, have lived there for a long time, who, probably. Who, or have been attracted by the free food and free water, because yeah. and which is available to them. You can come and get water and food. Mm-hmm. So the next morning I woke up very quiet. Nobody um, around. There's people in the tents. There's some, a few people walking around. I walked up to the street where the Black Lives Matter sign are, and the city is there, moving around concrete blocks to uh, cordon off, to reduce the zone from six blocks to three blocks. Mm-hmm. There was a, some consternation about that. Some people were not sure 
how this was happening or why it was happening. Some of the occupiers didn't know that some of the other occupiers had been working with the city to reduce the zone. And residents. Yeah, and and the local residents. And their goal was, the collective goal was, we want to continue occupying and raising awareness. Right. And we also don't want to prevent emergency services from getting to the residents. Right, exactly. So there was a council of residents, Mm -hmm. the city, and people who... I don't know who they are. I don't know if anybody's willing to say who is um, calling the shots or helping to organize or being liaison between the occupation and the city, but there is some liaison happening. I think it's a good idea for them to stay unnamed because of all of the protest organizers who have been murdered in the past couple weeks. Sure. So uh, these things were being moved around, and then they were attaching to these big concrete barriers uh, thick plywood, so they basically created a five foot tall wooden cube easel on <laughs> that everybody immediately started tagging mm-hmm. uh, and doing artwork on and that was what their purpose was their purpose was to uh, make sure there was a flow of traffic for people who needed to come in and get out to make sure that the residents are not unduly um, t- uh, um, imposed upon mm. uh, while also protecting people inside from uh, cars because there had been cars who had been running through and running over people. So this is a way for people to be there without feeling like uh, some angry truck driver is going to go barreling through the street and run over people, which, which has, has been, been happening. The threats have been happening uh, constantly. And angry truck drivers have driven their have trucks been driving over into people. crowds of protesters. Right. So... I was witnessing that happen, and because there's no head that we can see to what's going on, there was immediately some consternation between uh, various folks within the organization. There were uh, people yelling at the city workers, saying that they were working for the, you know, the empire, or colloquially, you know, just like they. There was a lot of hostility, and these guys. I thought what they did was useful. Yeah, uh, I didn't. I hadn't been there. I don't know what the context was before that moment, mm-hmm. but it seemed like it was useful. And it wasn't. This was the city, not necessarily condoning what was happening in the park, but certainly um, managing it so that it uh, could continue, and everybody can be safely cared for. Right. So that's what happened on Tuesday morning. As the day moved on, more and more people showed up. Uh, unlike a place like Standing Rock or what happened at the Occupy Movement in New York, the camps were not swelling and growing exponentially. Um, it's mostly local folk there. And uh, during the day, people are coming in, they're getting off work, they're, they're coming in to help support mm-hmm. and to see all the artwork and to see the blossoming of artwork that's happening. It is uh, an to, occupied zone, but people yes. aren't living there 24-7. Like, not all, a lot of people There's are There's a few hundred people that are there. 24-7. I have, I have yeah. no idea what the numbers are and who's actually living on the street there. Yeah. But the, a lot of the people who are living on the street are there providing services. Yeah. They're setting up a tent and then setting up a kitchen. Yeah. So... The uh, there's another area that is called the Decolonization Cafe, mm. and it is a collection of chairs and couches that is being organized and facilitated by active individuals to have conversations across lines, similar to what we were doing with copacetic conversations. Mm-hmm. So it is a mixed. There there were several options for several groups at once to be sitting down and just sharing their stories talking about uh, decolonization, talking about the experience of living in a, a systemic, a system 
that is systemically racist. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who want to come and hear the stories. There are people who want to help, but don't necessarily know the story behind what's going on. Um, so that zone, I spent several hours in, uh, talked to a number of people, participated in a number of discussions, found it tremendously helpful. Uh, people had to go past comfort zones to listen and talk. Mm-hmm. A number mm-hmm. of people had to go past their comfort zones uh, on all the people represented. Um, and I found it, that's the kind of thing that I think we should be having that couch cafe everywhere, all over the country because we need to be talking to each other mm-hmm. because... Again, the reason I went out there is because I could not get a discussion that I was comfortable with online. There and were too I wish, many trolls and too much misinformation. I wish we were having more decolonization cafes because uh, in, in the current black and white climate where you just need to know right away which team a person is on, people right. people are vilifying, people that I love are vilifying other people that I love because those people don't know about structural racism. Right. They and just don't know. They've only- never experienced it. And they're like, why is everyone so angry? And then they just get immediately slapped for not being on board with Black Lives Matter when a little bit of education and patience would help. Right. You you can't be held responsible for that which you don't know. And unfortunately, a lot of people like to talk about things they don't know. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't want to know certain things because with (laughs) knowledge comes responsibility. And I understand that resistance is there. But as a person who grew up in a very particular kind of group... I understand that there are people who have no idea what I'm talking about when I say I was homeschooled 24-7 and didn't kiss until I was married. You know, they just don't, they're like, ah, that probably doesn't exist. I'm like, no, it really exists. And so I also, you know, I there are people who understand systemic racism happening and experience it. And there are actually still a lot of people who don't experience it. And we can work together if maybe we had more of these decolonization cafes where people could learn without being immediately shamed for what they don't know. Right. Um, We're coming up on the top of the hour. That's true. I think it might be nice to try to put what's happening uh, across our society, but specifically at, at Capitol Hill in Seattle, how we got here Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to try to dissect some of these terms like systemic racism, defund the police. These Mm -hmm. are things that we need to understand Mm -hmm. uh, um, before we start uh, posting uh, strongly held opinions about them. Right. So I'd like to try to put some of these situations in context. Of things that we've been studying and talking about on post-orthodoxy and that you've been studying for years. Yes, this is right in line with the content of our shows before the this these events were happening yeah. before the, the this current protest this current protest was happening mm-hmm. post orthodoxy is a weekly show uh, about changing our minds about realizing our reality bubbles and figuring out if that's a bubble that we want to stay in forever mm, strongly held beliefs fundamentalisms and orthodoxies black and white views as opposed to spectrum views right um so i want to put some of this stuff into context when people say systemic racism what does that mean systemic or structural Structural racism, what does that mean? We talked a few weeks ago, we did a two-part show on our current drug policy. Four hours. <laughs> where it came from mm-hmm. and what, where it's at. And the, uh, the drug policy initiated by uh, Nixon in, in the 70s mm-hmm. and really b- put on steroids by Reagan in the 80s mm-hmm. was a, uh, d- by design, racist policy yes admitted by the architects that it was a racist policy gonna share that Ehrlichman quote one more time very good very good um so 
let's talk about the homeless folk who are at the park on Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, something put into place by Jimmy Carter when he was president to make sure it was an unprecedented um, effort to deal with mental health in this country, to make sure that communities were supplied with the resources to deal with people who needed mental health help. Now, these are people who need to be institutionalized or treatment for people who were in and out of institutions or therapy for people who couldn't afford therapy so that we could have a happier, healthier, safer environment. And now I have to interject because I did, I do remember vaguely hearing about the liberation of the people in mental hospitals Mm. from the The liberation. Yes. From the perspective that society was trying to ignore and do away with the troubling parts of society by putting them all in mental institutions. And I think those people have a bit of a good point Mm. because there were tons of people who were shoved into mental institutions to make problems go away, such as women who wanted to have opinions in the late 1800s got put in mental institutions for being hysterical. It happened all the time. Inconvenient folks were put in cells. So that did happen a lot. It happened a lot. And this is where we have to deal with the orthodoxy of our mental health situation. uh, Right. The science and the priesthood of psychology. Mm, Um, The religion. It's religion like there are the priests in the white lab coats that dictate what is and isn't healthy. And uh, that's an evolving science. That is not a set science. Well, science is evolving, but there yes. are a lot of people who don't like to think about science evolving because they just want to know what the rules are. We figured out all the science now. We know all right. of it now. So what Jimmy Carter was trying to do was to make sure there was more funding mm-hmm. so that we could have we could deal with these issues in a, in a, in a, uh, a better way for S- folks. So, for instance, somebody who is not very good at functioning in day-to-day society on their own what do we do with could them? live somewhere safe where right. they're supported and taking care of care of when they have a mental breakdown and they're keeping other people safe so they don't just like wander out into traffic and cause an accident. So, um, I like that idea on principle. Ronald Reagan defunded, uh, let me see what it was called. It was the mental health systems act was what, okay, here, I'm going to do this, uh, coinciding with a movement during the 1970s for rehabilitation of people with severe mental illnesses, the mental health systems act supported and financed community mental health support systems, which coordinated general health care, mental health care, and social support services. The law followed the 1978 report of the President's Commission on Mental Health, which made recommendations for improving mental health care in the United States. While some concerns existed about the methodology followed by the President's Committee, the report served as the foundation for MHSA, which in turn was seen as a landmark legislation in U.S. mental health policy. So we were moving forward. That was It was a push forward. Um, the Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act of 1981, signed by President Ronald Reagan on August 13th, repealed most of MHSA. Huh. The Patient's Bill of Rights, Section 501, was not repealed per congressional record. The Congress felt that state provisions were sufficient, and that Section 501 served as a recommendation to states to review and refine existing policies. So Reagan basically uh, cut off support. Mm-hmm. 
when people around the country are calling for defunding the police, they're not saying uh, get. Some people are saying get rid of the police. Some altogether. people actually are saying that. But the defund the police is saying that there's too much money going to police and not enough money going to these health, these important health concerns, mental health and public health concerns. Let me rephrase that another way, just for okay. people listening. If we spent more of the $2.8 billion that goes into the police on preventative measures, such as making sure people had health care, making sure people had houses, and making sure people had food and education, yeah, right. fewer incidents would happen that we needed police, police for. for. So what happens is the police are now working as social workers, and they're not trained to be social workers. No. What if when somebody was having a mental breakdown, we sent a mental health professional instead of a police officer? Right. And it's not, there's the mental breakdown aspect. So when I was at the, um, at, the, at the CHOP, the Capitol Hill Occupied Zone, there was one guy who just walked around screaming mm. all the time. Okay. Most people just ignored him. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to do with him. This is not like, he's not having a breakdown. No. This is his state. He's not bothering he, anyone technically. N- except for sonically. Right. So <laughs> he's walking around screaming and yelling Jesus stuff. Mm, oh. At, at the top of his lungs. Okay. Um, as well as other things. We have a guy like that in our neighborhood. Sure. Dreadlocks man. Right. So he's walking around. Um, if, the, if the people, if the, if the police were there, right, if this, mm-hmm. this was not an occupied zone and the police were there, somebody who was disturbed, maybe a neighbor who doesn't want this guy yelling outside their window, can call the police to come deal with him. And he would be mitigated. And he would be mitigated in one way or the other. Yeah. He was very hostile and very violent if approached. Okay. Most people are recognized, just don't approach him. Yeah. He's like, it's like a, a bear. Let, let, or, him, yell let about, him yell about the end He's times. He's doing his things. Yeah. When people said, hey, stop it, or they wanted to get into an argument over the content of his rants, <sighs> he became violent. Okay. So then you know that. People realized okay, we just don't mess with him, mm-hmm. and he's going to walk around and do his thing. Yeah. Um, just so, like you treat the bees in your garden. Right. So uh, this is a part of the structural or systemic problem of our police departments. They're handling things that they're not trained to handle and are not best equipped to deal with. So when people are saying defund the police, they're saying we should be taking the money that's going to the police department where they're having to act as social workers and put it into social issues. Mm-hmm. Let's deal with our mental health. Let's deal with our social health. Mm-hmm. Or just deal with our, our bodily health in the community. Um, how do we deal with homelessness? So homelessness rates spiked after Reagan's defunding of the Mental Health Act. So that became an issue for the police. And so rather than funding the mental health, we decided to fund the police. (sighs) Well, the whole reason, I mean, like I'm looking at the Internet right now while we're on our show. And the whole one of the biggest reasons why mentally ill patients were discharged between the 50s and the 90s was to reduce the amount of state money money going into mental health institutions and pharmaceutical treatment options were on the rise. Yes, we would rather people buy pills yes. than get free institutional care. But if you don't have money, then you can't buy the pills. You can't have either. Right. So what happened with the spike in homelessness means that we started talking about that coincided with the doubling down by Reagan mm-hmm. on Nixon's racist drug policy and announcing a literal war on drugs. Mm-hmm. 
where we needed to fund the police. So I've shared in our Facebook and Twitch time streams the ACLU, so the American Civil Liberties Union. Right. Marijuana arrests by the numbers. Okay. They have a beautiful infographic where you can learn about all of the numbers around marijuana, who's in prison for it, who's making money off of it, all of these things. You could know this information, you could know this information. and have feelings about it. And then I want to read John Ehrlichman's quote uh, as a lead-in to your conversation about the war on drugs. Read it right now, and then we'll, we'll, we'll see where that took us. Okay. You want to know what this was really all about? Talking about the drug policy, criminalizing marijuana and other drugs. This is uh, John Ehrlichman, who was Nixon's aide to something or other. He designed his drug policy. The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and the blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. It's a racist drug policy. Yes. This is the effect of instigating this, uh, uh, implementing this racist drug policy back in 74 or 71, whenever it was. Uh, Reagan doubled down on the drug policy because uh, the... Uh, Russia was big and scary and all that, but we needed something closer to home to get people uh, to have an externalized enemy. So it also really played well with white uh, conservative rural voters because they often didn't deal with the radical left or black people. So mm -hmm. criminalizing them was no skin off their back. They weren't criminalizing anybody I know. So that was Reagan. Uh, Bush won was involved in the Iran-Contra deal, which was, if you don't know what Iran-Contra is, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. It's on Wikipedia, well worth uh, finding out about. During the Iran-Contra uh, debacle, there was cocaine coming up from uh, South America to the inner cities of the West Coast and the East Coast, being dumped on, uh, being put into the hands of drug dealers and uh, gangs... And turned that turned into our crack epidemic. So, so say that again one more time. What yeah. are you saying? So the cocaine was delivered to the inner cities by the CIA to fund the Iran-Contra deal. So yes. that caravan of people who were afraid and coming to the border that Trump made a big deal out, that was the direct result of the Iran-Contra war, where um, uh, we empowered drug lords in South America and empowered gang lords in America in order to fund the Iran-Contra deal to supposedly fight communism. Mm. So while the country is saying, don't do drugs, folks, they are simultaneously bringing, they're the main courier of drugs into the country through the CIA. Mm -hmm. So that was Bush one. Bush two continued that battle and continued the war So let's on say drugs. that one more time. Say, you say it one George more time. George W. Bush Sr. Yes. Knowingly allowed the CIA yes. to sell cocaine right. and heroin right. to inner city drug lords in the US. Yes. Made made the drug lords, people who weren't even drug lords got to right, 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 right. Yeah. Sold it sold cocaine and heroin to people in the US. Yep. Thereby creating the drug lord thing. Yes. So George W. Bush Sr. allowed the CIA to sell these drugs to U.S. citizens so that the U.S. government had money to fight a foreign war. 
to fight a secret war. A secret foreign war. And uh, it also served to demonize black people in the, in the inner cities because look at them. They're out there dealing drugs. Right. It served... It many, served many purposes. the racist agenda um, very clearly. So let's go to the Clintons. Well, they're Democrats, right? So the Clinton, Bill Clinton comes into office. Surely the left, mm-hmm. the uh, Democrats are going to take care of our social ills. Well, that's not what happened. They had to, uh, because uh, Reagan... And Bush had had such, and Nixon, had had such great political success by coming down as law and order folks who were going to crack down on crime. They decided to do that too, and they're responsible for the rise of the prison industrial complex, which is uh, dealt with in that wonderful documentary called The 13th. 13th which you is want to about- know the history of the prison industrial complex, mm-hmm. the racist drug war, um, racist drug policy, nationally and and um in various cities that disproportionately put black people in jail continuing the yes. racist drug policy right. that was uh, that's in uh on the hands of Bill Clinton the neoliberals his whole administration Joe Biden was a big proponent uh Hillary Clinton she's the one that coined, coined the term uh, super predators because oh geez we got to take care of these super predators i.e. The black people really bad yeah. people right so the neoliberals became republicans in my mind at that point in terms of having to sell their soul to the law and order political trope mm-hmm. And so that's the deal with the devil they made. We're going to use this to get into office to do all the good things for people. But what they did is furthered the racist drug policy. We have a couple of comments. Very good. Um, a lady is commenting who works for the sheriff's office here in Butte. Uh-huh. And she was wondering if we'd talked with the local sheriff's office about the homelessness and mental illness and i'm not sure locally yeah locally and and so i have not personally gone to the sheriff i guess because i sort of feel like butte has a lot of structures in place and i see the i hear stories about the local police trying to help people with drug problems all the time in butte right Uh, like right that's like what the butte police do as far as i know as far as all the stories i've heard so i haven't talked with them personally and i'm really curious to see uh what you know why she asked if we talked with them i'm i'm i don't feel threatened by dreadlocks man Right, he the walk, guy who he rants walk, around. Yeah. He wears skirts and sings to himself and rants about God. Yeah, I'm not calling the police on him. Yeah, um, so uh, so I'm curious to see where that conversation is going to go as far as like what people think needs to be done locally about mental illness and yeah, I'd like to homelessness. I'd, I'd like to go sideways a little bit on that comment because policing in San Francisco and policing in Butte have very different challenges. Yes. They're a very different situation. I don't think you can, when you say police, I don't think you have to be specific. Yes. Is this inner city police? Is this suburban police? Is, is this, this the this local sheriff police? Is it, in a farm neighborhood? <laughs> they all have different jobs. They all have different challenges. Mm-hmm. And so um, I would say that locally, I don't, they, drugs are a big problem for, the, for law in enforcement Butte. in Butte. Yes. They have their hands full with that. Mm-hmm. And should that be their job? Should drugs, like if if there's criminal activity in terms of somebody being violent or dangerous, yes, of course. Mm -hmm. But picking up needles in the park. Doing the investigation to Mm -hmm. find out who are the distribution points for methamphetamine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's tax money spent well to try to crack down on the, The pardon the pun, crack (laughs) down on the uh, flow, the, the inflow of really dangerous chemicals. Beyond that, I would also say we should be de- decriminalizing all drugs. But at this point, I don't think that um, dealing with mental health issues, 
Should we, be the purview of the police. That should be, we should be funding more social services to help deal with those people, to help deal with the homeless situation mm -hmm. and to deal with drug addiction as a medical issue and not as a criminal issue. And that's one thing that has made our drug policy extremely destructive is that we treat addiction as a criminal issue when, in my opinion, and people smarter than me, their opinion, mm -hmm. feel like it should be a health issue. Addiction, I would, I would agree with you. I think addiction is a symptom of trauma. I think addiction is a symptom of some bad situation in life, such as homelessness or such as a horrible breakup or such as childhood trauma that hasn't been dealt with because you don't have access to a therapist. I think addiction is a health issue, yes, not a criminal issue. Right. People might take heroin and commit crimes. I don't think, but it, yeah. Someone taking heroin is not a crime. And they should have assistance to figure out why they feel like they need to escape their life. I don't think it's a stretch to say if we spent more money on mental health and uh, drug abuse issues, mm -hmm. we could spend less money on police having to deal with these issues. So that's when people talk about defunding the police mm -hmm. in a place like San Francisco, they're saying they are not a good solution to the social problems we're facing. Let's spend money somewhere else. Let's spend somewhere, money somewhere else and let the police do what police do in terms of protecting us from violence, protecting us from uh, other forms of crime that have victims. Right. Not victimless crimes like being homeless or being mentally unstable on the street. Mm -hmm. um, victims come out of that. But if we did more mitigation, the police would be uh, would would not have that burden on their daily schedule. That's that's proven to be true over and over and over. And there are a variety of terms you can Google to find more information about these concepts. Instagram has a lot of really great breakdowns of what defunding the police means. You can also look at the term unbundle the police, which holds space in your mind for like maybe the police shouldn't be mental health care workers and yes. health care workers and blah blah right. like. Uh, there's an issue we're going to talk about later where there was a shooting at Chaz yes. and the police, the, let's the, call it chop. Cause I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to okay. support them and getting rid of the Chaz. Well, that's hashtag. another conversation All too, right. because there are a lot of people online who are like, no, we're not changing it. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know why we're changing it, but there was an issue where the fire department wouldn't go to the location of this shooting because the police had to clear it first and the police wouldn't go clear it. The police. Yes. So there's a there's a combination of issues going on. But right. like, for instance, that should that should. Why is that a thing? <laughs> I guess because a gun is involved and right. you want to make sure your firefighters and you your paramedics are your safe. Paramedics, yeah. Right. But you can so you can look up defund the police. You can look up decommodify the police, which mm. means maybe we shouldn't be spending two point eight billion dollars on police and also have schools in our country that don't have a therapist on hand. Seattle's police department are among the highest paid in the nation. Some of them making three hundred thousand dollars a year. What? That's a just, police officer is making three hundred thousand yeah, dollars a year. That's salary. That's so, not talking about the infrastructure, the yeah. guns, the weapons, the tanks. Yeah, the, the military militarization grade, yeah. of the police. Um, somebody made a really great point that uh, they're like, "Well, but cops' lives are really dangerous too." I'm like, "Yes, yeah, but you can sure. choose to be a cop." Right. You don't get to choose to be black. You also right. Right. You can go. You if you are going into the military or into the police force, you are choosing to live a dangerous life. And let's just get back to the main point. Yeah. People protesting abuses by the police were being abused by the police, and that's why we have an occupied zone in San Francisco. Uh, Seattle. I'm sorry, Seattle. Yes. 
going back to the drug war, Kevin okay. Kevin Olson, Dow Chemicals wanted to provide the rope for the military around the beginning of World War II. Mm-hmm. This meant vilifying Mexican people who used a lot of marijuana and associating hemp with marijuana. It's too easy to fool people most of the time, especially when it appeals to their fears. And Mark French points out later on it was Randolph th- Hearst. that William Randolph Hearst also did the same thing with paper, where he had a monopoly on making paper out of trees and also selling newspapers made on that paper. And when hemp was on the rise as a plant that provides a completely renewable and regenerative source of so paper. We don't have to chop down our old We don't have forests. to chop down yeah. forests. Hearst helped begin the criminalization of marijuana because he wanted hemp criminalized. And so he made people think it was the same thing so that he could continue to make money by making paper and also by selling newspapers on that paper. Right. And this is an issue that we covered exhaustively in our two-part drug history, drug policy uh, right. series. Our racist drug ago. policies. Yes, our racist drug policy. So it goes back for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it, and the... the, the uh, using Mexicans to make people afraid of marijuana so they could demonize hemp, which you cannot smoke, mm-hmm. was a racist policy, as well as criminalizing this, uh, the the DEA criminalizing uh, drugs that that were victimless, making victimless right. um, things uh, criminal. They were making acts. things crimes where there was no harm to anyone right. else. I like your point last week when you said, uh, or during that show, when you said you can Google um, uh, the difference between criminalization and decriminalization. If you're writing a post and you write the word criminalized, criminalized. they're like, do you mean decriminalized? They autocorrect wants to change it. Autocorrect puts a red jaggedy line under the word criminalized. Because... Decriminalized, right. yes. Be- it's, but- it's as if they're trying to keep us from the knowledge <laughs> that things were not born into the universe as crimes. Right, so... We decide what are crimes. Bu- Our society decides what is a crime or not. Right, buying, growing, selling marijuana was not a crime. It didn't have victims. Right. Our policy created victims, which were the people who were doing victimless things. Right, you are a victim of yourself... By eating marijuana. <laughs> no, you were a victim because you wanted to do that and now it's illegal. But there was, mm, you doing it was not make, you, yes. you didn't victimize what yourself. What you do with your body is not a crime. Right. But it has become a crime. It, it has been made into a crime. criminalized. What you do with your body has been made into a crime. And criminalized doesn't show up on autocorrect. So. Interesting. Right. So that's why we're at where we're at. We have systemic problems. Those are just two of the systemic yeah, problems. We have systemic problems. Or three. That are asking to be addressed. And one of those forms is what's happening on Capitol Hill right now. The situation is not going to go away until we deal with it. Mm-hmm. And um, the I don't know much about the shooting on Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not much information out there. There's no... Well, the, there is the a lot initial, of information. It's hard to know which information know is which correct. Information. The first thing that I saw, and I do not, I can't verify this. The first information I saw is that it was a white person who shot two black people. Okay. And it was near one of the entrances. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the case. They don't have any, they decided not to have any description. Nobody's, the police, the people at the occupied zone, nobody's giving any information in terms of who that person was. The shooter. The shooter. So we don't know the story yet. Uh, there was some confusion over what happened. What I've gathered, and I'd like to take this moment that if you're really interested about what's happening on Capitol Hill, 
There's a gentleman who I was advised to start following on Twitter, and he also has a Facebook uh, a page. His name is Omari. Omar, Omari. Now I forgot his name. I'll look it up. Um, Omari Sal- Sala- Salisbury. Omari Salisbury, like the dinner snack. Omari Salisbury. He is a gentleman from the neighborhood. He is live streaming at regular intervals, just walking around with a camera. Showing you what's really happening. Showing there. you what's happening. Giving you his narrative. Mm-hmm. Talking to people. So you have a roving camera. Yeah. And you can go back and look at all his live streams on his Facebook page. If you want to know, if you actually want to know what's going on. Uh, because even though I've been there and come out, it's, it's, I feel like there's been a gray veil between me and that place because it's very hard to get information mm. from, from sources that I don't know are on the ground and now, what the perspective is. I can't share this right now, but Omari Salisbury recently did a li- a video where he interviewed one of the medics who responded to yes. the shooting at Pine and Nagel. Right. We can't play it live on the radio because we don't know if it has swear words in it. Right. So that, uh, well, I just wanted to, to make the source available. A big reason I went out there was so that I could find sources of information mm-hmm. so I can keep an eye on what's going on, have an understanding of how this story uh, will develop, because it will develop. It's going to go on for a while. Mm-hmm. And if you just read the headlines, I'm not seeing anything on mainstream media that has articulated what I experienced while I was there. There's a lot of, if it uh, bleeds, it leads activity. There have been some what skirmishes. What does if it bleeds, it leads mean? So if there's a fight, so there's been some, there were some proud boys that came up from San Francisco, went up to um, the occupied zone and started harassing people. And there's videos of them getting into fights. Now you can take that video and just say, look at those crazy people up there at right. Capitol Hill. That was, an inst- that was instigated by the outside. And I don't know about the shooting last night, but as long as uh, entities like Fox News are smearing... So th- there's a video that Tucker Carlson did with a video of two black guys with a gun, of an obvious homeless person uh, looking side-eye at the camera, right. and they slowed it all down like a horror movie. Oh, my goodness. They are doing their best to spin this for ratings because it feeds the preconceived, the preconceived notions and the tropes of the people who are watching that. That's not mm. news. It's infotainment, and it's spin. Mm-hmm. And um, it gets your jollies. Th- there have been threats over and over and over and over that there are people who are going to come out and take the city back. And that's another issue that I want to uh, deal with. There's all this talk on right wing, on the right wing Twitter sphere mm-hmm. about going in and taking our city back. This is from people in Oklahoma. This is from people in Idaho. This is from people in California. Taking the American city back out of the maniac's hands. The city has been taken back already. That's what the occupied zone is. The occupied zone is the residents. It's the residents. Taking back the zone from the brutal police. That is what happened. Yeah. So this rhetoric that it needs to be taken back is ironic Mm. at best. Mm -hmm. So uh, it fits the narrative. And so this, uh, the president is, uh, he's the one that said that because a black man had a gun, he was a warlord. Um, and Fox News is uh, <laughs> that's just ridiculous. Like horror story, his horror story. The, the, the warlord. Sto- yes, right. I um, want to. I want to see a white man defending his property with a gun being called a warlord. A warlord, right? <laughs> um, so 
this mischaracterization, it's not just bad reporting. It's active um, mischaracterization of, of Manipulation. What's going on. It's manipulating images to inflame people. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 highly likely that people are going to die there if this continues because of the rhetoric by Fox News and the president of portraying this as some hostile zone, some mm. some festering uh, anarchist um, uh, Antifa, you know, all those things, they're throwing it all in there. And it's really easy to find a video of a, of a insane homeless Somebody man yelling. and say that's what's going on there. So uh, if you're really interested in what's going on, if you're not there to just confirm your bias, I would suggest Omari Salisbury's uh, Twitter feed and his Facebook feed. Go the videos. Just you can look at the videos. You can see what's happening. You can see from what's someone happening. Someone who's filming it, who's there. Right. And you do. Ha- I mean, in us um, talking about Twitter as a more productive alternative than Facebook. Okay. Yes. Because um, Facebook is mostly a regurgitation site. Everything right. that you see on Facebook was either shared from some other. Not source, everything. Because almost Omar everything. Is, right. Right. Or screenshot from some other location, right? Right. right, right. <laughs> it's a Twitter screenshot that your friends on Facebook are sharing around. That happens a lot. <laughs> like tributaries go into the stream and they get swept away on Facebook. Yes. So that's why you see copies of copies of copies. Like mm-hmm. there was one meme going around that was supposedly some scared elderly woman at the Capitol Hill zone that was fearing for her life and she couldn't get her mail. <sighs> and it was so pixelated. That you could tell is just one of these things that has just been shared and downloaded and shared and screenshot shared and, and copied and, and pasted over and over and over yeah. to represent the poor, poor residents of Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be some. There's some people there who are going to be inconvenienced. Yeah. Maybe if you don't get the mail for a little bit, they're going to work it out. Maybe there's, if you don't get the mail for a little bit, you'll go get involved in your local legislation so that black people don't die so much. That could be something to get involved with. Yeah. My experience there is I didn't see opposition from the neighborhood. The opposition that I have seen is from people who are far, far away that are being fed a bunch of propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, Capitol Hill Occupied Protest, which is at Free Cap Hill on mm-hmm. Twitter, also is sharing a lot of local news. Yes. This seems to be coming from a more consensus voice of the zone. Uh, they just posted, remember why we're here at the CHOP. A lot mm. has happened this week. We are fighting to defund the police, invest that money into the community, and end the unjust incarpor- incarceration of black and indigenous people of color. Um, largely due to our racist drug policy. Yeah. There are people making money off of marijuana while other people are in prison for marijuana or in prison because they were arrested on a possession of marijuana charge and didn't have the money to go to trial. Right, so it's a class issue. So they're just in prison as well as a race issue. with no actual conviction. Right. Yeah. So that's my initial. I wanted to go out once to at the early stages of this thing to see what was going on. Like I said, I feel like it's something that's going to be happening all summer long. Mm-hmm. I would like to make return trips and see how things are developing, continue um, getting interviews. I did a number of interviews. I was not able to edit down. And for me, it's not a one-shot deal. I suspect we'll be talking about it next week. I want to keep talking about it. I want to keep uh, gathering information, gathering interviews, and try to put together a cohesive story of what's going on out there because that's what I'm finding a hard time Mm -hmm. uh, locating. And what I was saying about Twitter is that, like, it's not perfect either. I'm sorry. You have to do work. You have to investigate. You can't just pick something that makes you feel enraged or makes you feel better 
that's what Snopes is for. That's what the Google is for. That's what comparing your sources is for. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. We, we have to, so I see something on Twitter that's talking about the shooting. Is that person actually there? Or are they resharing information that right. they read from somewhere else? This is the sort of work that we that are that we're beholden to do in this day and age, with the availability of information and the availability to misrepresent and twist information so easily. It's not easy anymore. I'm sorry. Getting yeah. the news is not easy, and it's never going to be easy again. We can't be lazy. We have to check our sources. I've walked away from Facebook to a large degree. Because my Facebook has acquired friends over the last 12 years or so. They're my friends from high school. A number of them are uh, what I would call uh, benign racists. They don't, they're all lives matter folks. Mm -hmm. They don't think that there's systemic or racism. They don't believe it because they've never experienced it. Mm -hmm. Uh, They take health issues and make them political issues. I also have friends of mine that are in a circus in San Francisco. I have organic farmers in Hawaii. I have people in the entertainment industry, industry in Los Angeles. And when I make a post, it's usually those friends of my group that are opposed to my point of view that respond. It's giving me a fairly negative view of the world because of the people who respond. So I have a number of lifetimes in my friends group. And it was a joy to go to Twitter while I did this thing because almost nobody that I know is on my Twitter account. I had like 50 people. So uh, it's, it's mostly people who have joined my feed in the last few weeks. And so these are people who tend to, I'm, I'm creating a bubble for myself, a mm. reality bubble for myself where there's some agreement in what, what I'm talking about. And it's not that I, I, I'm afraid of having different points of view. Um, it's that uh, nonsense, as I said in my, one of my sign-off posts, uh, I'll say nonsense is sort of uh, the word that was used. An FCC unsafe word. Yes. That nonsense takes a, a, a magnitude, well, where does it go? What nonsense it? takes way more work to clean up than it does, does to, to produce. produce. Yes. The work to clean it up is a magnitude larger than what it takes to put it out there. Mm-hmm. So if I take some information that I put and somebody uh, dumps some BS on top of it, mm-hmm. for me to refute it mm-hmm. is a lot more work than it was for them to post it. If you Now, life is not a tidy journey from point A to point B no. anywhere except arguably your experience of aging from birth to death. <laughs> Everywhere right. else, it's pretty nonlinear and goes in a lot of directions at once. However, if we were to use an analogy... The work that us and a variety of other people are trying to do in the world is headed in a direction of learning more, expanding more, helping more, getting along more. And behind us are the times that we spend arguing, doubling down, fighting, being depressed, Mm. being unproductive. When we're trying to push an argument in a particular direction towards education, enlightenment, and a better time, and somebody comes along who's further back on the spectrum and just wants to confirm their beliefs so they feel safe, then the energy is being taken away from productively moving forward in life to go back and try to talk to this person. And sometimes the stubbornness just won't end. Yes. Kevin Noel Olson is wondering, uh, Dark, what are your thoughts if there are any correlations to the summer of love? So I keep seeing that used in a pejorative way uh, by 
by right wing folks. Oh, that this Lovin. this occupied zone, a summer of love, and I don't know if that was a quote from the mayor or something to downplay um, the the rhetoric about what a dangerous place it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. This is Seattle right now, and this is a political issue. This is a class issue. But primarily, it's a race issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I went to Standing Rock, one thing that I really appreciated was that the folks that started it, the Sioux, the indigenous folks of that area, managed to make that camp a prayer camp and not a protest camp. And it's a protection camp. They were there to protect the water, not to protest the pipeline. And these little differences are important. There were a lot of well-meaning people that came out to Standing Rock that were like, we want to make this an environmental movement and talk about the environment. And the elders and the folks were there like, this is our movement, Mm -hmm. and we're going, this is a prayer camp, and this is about protecting. Mm -hmm. The narrative is important, and they did a great job of keeping the narrative from their perspective and not having it overtaken by trolls or well-meaning social justice warriors that were not educated enough Mm -hmm. About those people and that place and that fight. And thought they were going to come in and yell about what was going on. They were to come in and to help, help. To help, right. The same thing is happening on Capitol Hill. There are a lot of well-intentioned people who are coming down to document what's going on, to participate in what's going on, that don't understand the issues. Mm. They don't understand the history. They don't understand what happened. And it's, it's tough, because um, you don't want to bash or shame people who are trying to help, but also, like, it's a complex issue. There's a lot of, some well-meaning allies are getting uh, hostile reactions from folks there that are tired of having to explain yes. the cause. That's, and they're just basically saying, please educate yourself before you come out here. Please yeah. understand what this is about before you try to come and support. Mm-hmm. In the bathrooms, like every uh, porta potty that I went to, written in big Sharpie, was like, if you ain't from here, don't come here. Mm. We don't necessarily need people coming out and supporting us unless they know what this is, mm-hmm. unless they're aware of all of the issues that we're fighting. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 more than left versus right. It's more than Republican versus Democrat. Both parties have a hand in the destructive policies that have brought us to this moment. This is not, you can't just come in and say, because I'm a Democrat, I'm a good guy. You go talk to some people whose families were put into jail by Democratic policy Mm -hmm. because of the drug policy and because of the prison industrial complex. You go tell them that they should go fight for, uh, vote for Biden. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's a, there's a video, there's, there's a number of videos going on out there where, well-meaning allies Mm -hmm. are coming to help and getting schooled by some black people there that are saying, um, I'm not voting for Biden. As far as education that you could do for yourself, which it is our responsibility to educate themselves ourselves. It is my responsibility to educate myself. It would be awfully nice if I could sit down with the stereotypical wise black lady who would teach me all about structural racism and her experience and what I should know, but that's not her job. She's spent her whole life living in a structural racist system. She already has enough to deal with. And one of the hashtags that I follow on Instagram is amplify melanated voices (laughs) right and what they're talking about these days is guys we are already exhausted by living oppressed 
it is not our job to educate you about our oppressed existence. You can go and Google it and you can know the facts. You can find out what led us to this point and the experiences that we've been having. And you can even go read books that black people have written. Black people have written books and made movies and documentaries and so have Native American people and so have Hispanic people. You can go and read these books and figure out what their experience is and what's actually going on in the country and you can educate yourself. And that's that. it's our job. It's our job to educate ourselves. Shout out to Steve Stark of Mad Stark yes. Radio. Right. Thank, thanks for stopping by the show this afternoon. So I, I popped down to Portland after I left Seattle. Mm-hmm. I went to go visit with uh, local correspondent Zoe Sevier. <laughs> she has been involved in uh, the um, the act, some of the activities going on in Portland. Mm-hmm. She led me down to a, a protest that was happening downtown Portland, where people were marching at midnight. Um, there were uh, I was gonna go to the Apple Store since there's no Apple Store in Montana. <laughs> yeah. The Apple Store is surrounded by black plywood. And it has become a memorial not only to George Floyd, but uh, dozens mm-hmm. of um, people who have been killed by police brutality. Yeah. And it's become a chalk wall where anybody can come and, and leave their thoughts, leave their flowers. Um, Portland was less centralized. What I saw happening in Portland, there are pockets of protest. There's 10,000 people over here. There's 1,000 people, people here. Out There's 500 people protesting. here. Whenever I said, what's going on for Juneteenth, there were a dozen different events. So there were not giant, huge numbers of people. So if you're at one event, you might say, well, maybe not much is going on here. Mm-hmm. But there's lots of those events happening. Um, so uh, a friend of mine who lives in Portland, uh, I think just, he said, Portland and Seattle are like sisters where Seattle is the older, more successful, um, sexier sister. And Portland always wants to try to catch up a little bit. So mm. Portland did... Uh, did not learn from the effort to deprioritize the autonomous part of their name and tried to create a Portland autonomous zone. Okay. So after everybody at the at, at the occupied zone in Seattle were saying that's not an accurate word. We don't like that name. Yep. It leaves us open to to ridiculous ridicule. Dogmatic and fighting. we did not pick it, right? Right. So some well 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 meaning folks, or is this a psyop operation? They tried to set up a zone close to the mayor's house downtown Portland. Mm-hmm. It was a horrible zone. It's in the middle of a bunch of businesses. There's no park for people to gather. It was it was, it was was an impossible task. They set it up, they held it for a few hours, and then there were seven people left because everybody went to bed, then the police <laughs> came and told them to go. Yeah. Um, I feel like what's happening in Seattle is because it is the history of Capitol Hill, and it is the location of Capitol Hill, and it's the resources of Capitol Hill. You have a large park Yes, gatherings can happen. You can secure a three-block area and not cut off cut off very many avenues. I think the important thing to point out, along with all of this rhetoric of like taking, we have to go take our city back from those protesters, is like the people who are there protesting are the residents. They're the city. And so it's their park that their tax dollars paid for that they are allowed to gather in. Shane Frank has a question on Facebook. Yeah. He says, so I heard there are rules now for CHOP. Okay. Did they involve the original residents of the Capitol Hill in their rulemaking? Have you heard anything about that, Dark? From I, from what I understand, they're, they're, uh, the interview that I did with this cat, Jamie, he's somebody from the neighborhood. He's the guy that turned me on to Omari Salisbury. Mm-hmm. He is a resident. He's been there six years. Somebody said, well, that's, you know, he's not a long-term resident. 
he he grew Whatever. up He's, there. He said it, it in the in his interview oh, yeah, that yeah. he grew up in Capitol Hill. Okay, so so <laughs> sorry guys. Right, um, die mad. Right. That's my new favorite phrase. <laughs> like, <laughs> why do you want it to not work? There's constant problem solving happening at the chop, all day long. There's problem solving. Uh, having in to deal pods. With, in, in pods, people, there are issues coming up and there are issues being dealt with mm-hmm. all day long. That's what's happening. That's a part of the, uh, political mm-hmm. aspect of, um, of anarchy is that it is people coming together to work together to deal with transition from one system to another system, from a system that's not working to hopefully a better system. That's what's happening there right now. And they are in dialogue from what I understand, with a number of residents, I didn't find any residents there mm-hmm. that were upset about what was going on. And in the interview, the one guy said, we were tired of having to try to watch Netflix yeah. with tear gas coming through our doors. Mm-hmm. Like, these are residents that were blocks away from where the action was happening. Yeah. They said there was, a, there was a huge amount of tear gas on the last day, and you could not be on Capitol Hill without tearing up. Mm. Not just the people in front. So the residents that I talked to were glad that the siege by the police was over and that what was happening with the folks on the ground was, was appropriate was appropriate and preferred and to, on what par. Had, to what had been happening in previous weeks. Now, is it an ideal situation? No. No. Ideally, legislation would change. Right. They'll, they'll get some problems taken care of so people are not suffering so greatly. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, Shane, like this is the misunderstanding about anarchy, like, uh, and, and, and hmm, we have to zoom out a little bit because there's this religious fueled mentality in the U S especially that people are just born bad and without leadership and rules, people will screw each other over all the time and just do bad things. And that has been perpetuated and fueled by certain Christian groups and other Christian groups and people who have bought into that story who don't even think of themselves as Christians, that people are born bad and will without leadership or authority figures without a daddy will, will mess up. So we need daddy around to spank us when we inevitably mess up and what anarchy as a philosophy and as a social structure and as being demonstrated on Capitol Hill right now is showing anarchy is instead of somebody else waiting around to tell you what to do or spank you when you mess up, anarchy is all of us, the society, the citizens taking care of each other, which we have the function to do, except that there are a, there is a huge group of U.S. citizens mm. who live in the mindset that w- if left to our own devices, we wouldn't take care of each other. That's right. There is a huge group, a huge demographic in the U.S. that thinks if left to our own devices, we would not take care of each other. And anarchy is built on the concept that if left to our own devices, we would take care of each other. And so that's what Dark is saying is that all over Capitol Hill, there are problem solving is happening. There's the the people providing electricity for people who need to charge their devices, people providing food for people who need food, people providing counseling and mediation for fights, yes. people providing protection against folks that seem like they want to come in and cause trouble. These are the citizens taking care of the citizens right. by providing something that the citizen has to provide. Um, Bryn Holt had a question. He All said, right. he asked if I was able to identify or contact any principal of the occupation in Seattle. 
And did I perceive an organizational principle? Was there any discussion of changing the tagline, defund the police to restructure the police or something else? How long can the Capitol Hill zone last? That's a lot of questions. a number of questions. Also, Um, defund the police wasn't invented by Capitol Hill, Seattle. No, no, no. 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 Um, uh, So was I able to identify or contact any principal of the occupation? Uh, If I did find them, I wouldn't tell you who they were. Preach. They're... Not because choosing to, Kevin might. <laughs> no, no. I, they are they are remaining uh, under the wire for a reason mm-hmm. because uh, you don't want to make yourself a target and um, you also don't want to be the source uh, to, to, to claim liability for anything that happens. It is an anarchic zone. It is not about one person. And yes, there are some... As soon as the police left, there was, I think Ainsley shared in this thread a link to the Medium article where there were a list of demands made about uh, demands that they wanted to see taken care of. Mm-hmm. So that may be refined as time goes on. Uh, the idea is to, I think, you make the list, you go big. It's the principle of haggling. You go as big as you can and you see what gets offered. And you, and you change. Seattle has a history of doing this over and over throughout history of... Uh, Protest, occupation of places, getting demands met, having structural changes. Mm. They've done it over mm. and over and over. Capitol Hill, Seattle. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you can look up Capitol Hill uh, on Wikipedia and get a little more insight into the place itself because context is everything. Um, the defund the police thing, like the autonomous zone, like Black Lives Matter, I think is uh, unfortunate. An unfortunate etymological term. So the principle yes. behind defund the police is we spend a ton of money on an institution to spank people when they mess up that is not trained properly to take care of all the problems. For some reason, yeah, for some reason this is inflaming a lot of people. We didn't have a big outcry when we were defunding schools, when we were defunding mental health when we're defunding the education system, when we're defunding social programs, we've been defunding the things that have led to the overfunding Quote of unquote, the police. Quote, needing more police. We so, need more police because these other social structures are defunded. not in place. They were defunded. Yes. Not that they were in place. Money was taken away from those structures. Taken away. Problems occurred. They funded the police. This is the militarization of people who are supposed to be our guardians. Mm-hmm. And they've turned them into our guards. Um, and that's unfortunate. The phrase, yes, restructure the police, um, reimagine justice. There's more positive terms. Right. Uh, these movements have to find their poets, people who actually understand language to mm-hmm. get our catchphrases. Unfortunately, with things like Twitter, um, a catchphrase or an acronym will define a movement before the architects of the movement have a chance to do it. Um, I, I think there's something to having a headless movement to not having uh, some dynamic leader that can then be turned into its demon through looking into their past or maybe they they slip up and then the whole movement is delegitimized because of one person i think it's more power to not ha- it's more powerful i'm i'm coming around i was not so secure i was not so sure when i was watching the uh, occupy movement develop it would be comforting to have a strong voice come out and say, this is who we are, this is what we are doing, and we are going to issue these demands, and I am going to be the person that's going to lead the fight. That's our history. 
I don't know if that's what we need to be doing anymore. And the Occupy movement introduced that into our culture as a lateral hierarchy and not a straight up and down hierarchy. And that tradition is, is moving forward into what's happening on Capitol Hill. And I think it's the smart way to go. You keep your leaders from uh, becoming uh, saviors. Mm. Uh, they have to then deal with their savior complex or other people get to take them down or put them on a cross. Mm. And then what was the final question? Um, oh, how long do I think it will last? Well, my first thought was this is going to be here at least until the weather gets bad. I mean, it's going to be here all summer long. Um, most of what I saw was people coming and going throughout the day. It's a very small amount of the people. Like At 6 o'clock, the number of people there, I would say it was a very, I would say, I don't know, I'm just going to guess, 10% of the people at 6 o'clock that you see in the videos are staying there. I would say, and it's just a guess, about 90% of those people are going back to their homes in the neighborhood and from places around the city. So it has a durability because they're not dealing with like what we had to deal with Standing Rock, which is 20,000 people out on a prairie where you had to deal with all the food, you had to deal with all the infrastructure, the toilets, all that. Mm -hmm. No, these people have homes. Most of them have homes. They're coming and going. And as long as the city is supporting this movement, that movement will be there. And we have an election coming up in November. I imagine this is going to highlight some issues that need to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, we have a lot more to talk about. Chaz, Chop, protesting, graffiti, um, Black Lives Matter, the history of our racist drug policy and everything. We really appreciate everybody who's tuned in this afternoon. And thank you to Dark for going to uh, to Chaz and Chop slash Chop, Chaz slash Chop. And I'm yes. going to keep using both because I have been on Twitter sure, following sure. the accounts of people who are there. I who, do like to bring attention to that. Of course. Right. I think it is an unfortunate term. I think they are also trying to own it because of the temporary autonomous zone right. thing you were talking about earlier. Right. Um, but Put I'm going to... context, Yeah, yes. I'm going to reshare this article of the, the demands of the collective black voices at Free Capitol Hill to the government of Seattle. They have a set of coherent and intelligent and well-researched demands, such as if there are black people in the hospital, there ought to be a black medical professional present. There's unfortunate uh, extreme disparities. Yes, especially treated. And another study that I saw last year, over almost 300 doctors and medical professionals were were polled, and this study showed that every single one of the doctors held at least one medically incorrect view of black people's health such as, as that separate from white people black women don't feel pain as much as white women do that's how they justify killing chickens for food current medical professionals still think these things so i think it's not a far cry to say that maybe there ought to be a black person in the hospital when there's a black person being treated so joe pruden just uh, chimed in i don't know how long he's been listening to the show but his comment is let chop as burn itself to the ground Nice alliter- like combo there. Yeah, thanks for joining in the discussion. I'm not sure if I you guess heard I'm, the show. Um, you know, I, I don't know why Joe wants all those people to die, but, Yeah, there you seems know. to be a lot of vitriol. Anger. Why there's, are people so angry about this protest? There's anger and violence. The Towards anger, that's the what protest. I say. The <laughs> anger and violence around this yeah. has been from people who do not know what's going on and people who are not there. Yeah. And people from a very particular part of the political spectrum. Right. That's where I'm seeing... Almost all of the violence in speech and action is coming from people who are opposed to the city taking its streets back mm-hmm. from a abusive institution. So, so I don't welcome know. to the discussion late, Joe Pruden. 
So thanks for tuning into the show, folks. We'll see you next week. You can join the post-Orthodoxy conversation by catching one of our live streams on Facebook, Twitch, or YouTube. If you'd like to connect with us online, we can be found on Instagram at post-Orthodoxy, on Twitter and Facebook as ourselves, and on Twitch as The Seviers. Our work on the post-Orthodoxy conversations is supported by listeners like you through our Patreon, where patrons of the show have access to perks and exclusive content. That's patreon.com slash post-Orthodoxy. Post-Orthodoxy began as a live radio broadcast on KBMF 102.5 FM, America's Most Radio. Find other quality radio shows by the 70-plus volunteer DJs on the station archive at butteamericaradio.org slash shows. Or you can stream live 24-7 from anywhere on the planet at butteamericaradio.org slash stream. Our post-Orthodoxy theme music was composed by Frank Pascal, and a special thanks goes to our voice actors, Amelia, Colin, Zbo, Rosie, Gabo, Vicky, Mokai, and Tony. Thanks for playing. <laughs> What's outside your reality bubble?